Uh, we are in Revelation today, getting into the Word, chapter 8. Both Easy and Dan have Bibles in their hands, so if you don't have a Bible, just lift it up. We want you to grow with just familiarity as to where things are in the Scriptures as we go through them. And this will be an easy one for you, because Revelation is the last book of the Bible, chapter 8. If you'll look at verse 1, we're moving on through the seal judgments, and we're not talking the sweet sea creature, you know, or the circus animal that balances a ball on their nose. Um, They get mad, but they're not going to judge the world. uh, it's a seal as if on an envelope or on a scroll. In this case, it is on a scroll. There were seven seals uh, that, that are upon what some believe to be the title deed to earth. And when they were wondering in heaven who could open this scroll, no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was found worthy to open the seal, uh, the scroll or to loose its seals. Uh, and then uh, the... The heavens rejoiced when Jesus came into the throne room of God. Uh, he was called a lion, but he looked like a lamb who'd been slain. And he was worthy to open this title deed to earth, to take it back from Satan, who had captured it in the Garden of Eden. He took it back because of what he did on the cross. And he's able, in chapter 5, he's worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals because he was slain for us and because he's redeemed us to God. And so we have watched for the last couple of weeks him open seal by seal these seven seals and each one of these being a different judgment upon a Christ rejecting world and uh, the final judgment of the seal judgments actually opens up the next set of judgments. And so as we'll study these judgments in the tribulation period, they're not so much like in chronological order. Some of them may be, but what you find more is like a symphony. And if you know anything about music, if you've ever read music, you were in simple band back in junior high or something, uh, you know that there's various, uh, you know, volume changes. There's various repeats. You know, you go back to a certain part or you, you know, and there's this flow and it builds and it's getting to this great end. And that is what we see in the book of Revelation and kind of part of the music of the book is that the last seal judgment, the seventh of the seven, leads into seven more judgments called the trumpet judgments. And the last trumpet judgment leads into seven bowl judgments. Okay, so there's uh, three big sets of judgments upon a world that's rejected God And it goes the seal judgments, the trumpet judgments, which we'll start today, and the bowl judgments. So I know that everyone's following along. You totally got that. You're going to be able to write on your blog about it this afternoon. It's going to be great. Um, And so as we look at chapter 8, verse 1, we see Jesus is the he there in verse 1. And he's opening that last seal, opening the seventh seal. And what happens is that there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. 
A man wanted to become a monk, so he went to a monastery and talked to the abbot, who was the lead monk. The abbot said, you must take a vow of silence if you want to become a monk. And you can only say two words every three years. The man said, okay. Okay. Uh, That would be one word if you're wondering. Still has one. He's saving it up. After the first three years, the abbot came to him and he said, uh, you know, what are your two words? To which he replied, food cold. So the abbot made his food warmer. Three more years went by and the abbot came and said, so what are your two words? He said, robe dirty. So the abbot cleaned his robe. Three more years goes by. What are your two words? Bed hard. So he got him a softer bed. Three more years goes by and his two words are, I quit. (laughs) To which the abbot replied, well, I'm not surprised you've been complaining ever since you got here. (laughs) Here in heaven, we see something causes the whole population of the heavens to be silent for about half an hour. Now, what an amazing thought this is, because as we've been reading from chapter 4 and chapter 5 of Revelation, we see millions and millions and billions of the host of heaven, of angels and saints, singing out and worshiping and rejoicing. Heaven normally is anything but silent, except for now. What is this silence in heaven? Well, some believe that the women may have been away on a heavenly retreat. (laughs) November's going to be nice, amen, brothers? Okay. It could be an understanding of the power of prayer. This chapter's going to go on and talk about prayer in just a little bit. But most that I've read have understood this half an hour of silence to be the calm, Before the storm. Tornadoes and hurricanes have an eerie stillness before the storm hits. And then comes the pouring of the deluge. With this silence can be this holy fear or reverence as the wrath of God is about to get all the more severe. uh, Habakkuk 2.20 says, But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silent before him. Really, ultimately, we'll never know what this silence is until we get there. But most that I've read have said, The calm before the storm. Or the hush before the crush. And this hush is going to be broken by the shrill blasts of seven trumpets blown by angels. Ironside says, it is as though all heaven is waiting in breathless expectation. We seem to hear the question, what will the lamb do next? Because we must remember that though this is a time of judgment and an outpouring of wrath upon the earth, this is not a satanic period. This is a period in world history that is very God-ordained and, and it is God's doing. 
It is God in the person of Jesus pouring out wrath upon a world that has rejected him. In chapter uh, 6, we see that it is called the time of his wrath, the wrath of the Lamb. What will the Lamb do next? John MacArthur summarizes the situation succinctly when he says, The hour of God's final judgment had come. The hour when the saints will be vindicated, sin punished, and Satan vanquished. Most ultimately, Christ exalted. Verse 2 says, And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. So, About a half hour of silence in heaven. And by the way, I I kind of appreciate that he says about, you know, he didn't have his Rolex on him or his G-Shock Casio yet. You know, he was just, you know, uh, it was about 30 minutes, you know, Um, and it was this period that then moves to seven angels with trumpets. Now, the non-biblical, non-authoritative Jewish book of first Enoch makes reference to these seven angels who stand before God and names them. Uriel, Raphael, Rakael, Michael, or Michael, Sarakael, Gabriel, and Ramael. Uh, it's the Ninja Turtles of heaven, ultimately. Those of you born in the 80s were following me there. David Platt notes several aspects of the spiritual conflict that's about to emerge here. We're going to see incredible times of prayer in heaven in just the next couple of verses, but there's warfare that happens in the midst of prayer. And so it's important to note in this chapter that our battle is fierce, Platt says. Our battle is fierce. Here's these seven warriors, these seven angels. They've got these trumpets that are most usually for uh, sounding the war, sounding the battle, sounding the alarm. There's a fierce battle. There are demons that we're going to see who are fighting us and want to destroy us. But we'll see our prayers are effective. That our cries will go up and his kingdoms come down. And we see that prayer aspect of it going on into verse three here then another angel having a golden censer came and stood at the altar he was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar which is before the throne and so in this verse alone we we see what exodus and hebrews both talk about that moses was supposed to make the tabernacle exactly as god specified When Moses would make the tabernacle, which became a larger temple, all of the things that you see and all of the articles of the temple are a reflection of the throne room of heaven. Hebrews 8 verse 5, it speaks of that, that it needed to be an exact copy of the heavenly tabernacle. And so if you're not familiar with the book of Exodus and Leviticus, with the book of Hebrews, this might be a little foreign to you because what we're seeing are these instruments of worship in, uh, in a temple. And so uh, one of the main parts of the worship service is the altar where a sacrifice had been made and we would be offered upon that and the smoke from the offering would rise to heaven as a sweet smelling aroma to God. And it's a picture of our lives being given to God. We offer our lives up on this altar as a living sacrifice. Um, but more, most ultimately, it's a picture of Jesus 
who first offered his life upon the altar when he laid down his precious spotless blood to atone for our sin. So you have this altar and it had these hot coals and there was always a fire going on. Uh, and then the priest would have something like a censer where he would scoop incense and he would scoop the coals. And it was all a part of the aroma. It was all a part of the ambiance. It was all a part of the worship service in heaven. And here we see in heaven, there's this temple, there's an altar, you've got angels uh, you've got this angel grab this golden censer. You could read about it in Leviticus 16, which is essentially a container for burning incense. And uh, <clears throat> we see incense. And, mo- you know, that's not something that's too unfamiliar to us. You know, we go to many stores. You can buy a little stick of incense. You can have it burning in your house. It kind of helps with the smell of the house. Uh, but something beautiful we see in this chapter, Revelation 8, is that this Incense is a picture of the prayers of the saints. That this incense is to be offered with the prayers of the saints before the throne of God. Now, if you flip back a couple chapters, you don't have to, but it's in Revelation 5.8. We see the 24 elders, which is a picture of the church in heaven. You and me, who are believers in Jesus, have these bowls and in them are the prayers of the saints. So kind of in context, we have this angel, he gets this um, censer, he gets coals and fires, and he gets prayers of the saints, and it all kind of makes this beautiful worship service in heaven, and in a time of prayer in heaven taking place. As in Psalm 141.2, it says, let my prayer be set before you as incense. The lifting up is my hands as the evening sacrifice. And so part of the song we sang tonight over and over or this morning was let our praise or our prayer rise to you as incense. Have you ever thought about that? That as we spend time as a church praying, it's just many sticks of incense just being lit, being, you know, this, this aroma of our outcry to the Lord in both, both prayer and praise and before his throne, he's aware of it. And I was thinking this week as I was studying, you know, people always wonder, how can God, you know, listen to all these billions of prayers being offered up at once, you know? And it's like, man, in one sense, no pun intended, it's hilarious. There's more than one sense, right? Uh, he's in the midst of this scent of our prayers and he can distinguish. In the book of Luke chapter one, verse 10, the multitude of people would be praying at the hour of incense. And our hour of incense is next Saturday night, 6 p.m. at the Pulse. Come pray with us. Just try it out. Okay, kids love to play. They hang out downstairs. We just spend time worshiping, praying, interceding. It's our hours, our hour of incense. But the fact that this incense of prayer is offered upon the altar shows us that there's something sacrificial about genuine prayer. There's something sacrificial about coming to the corporate prayer meeting of the church. You got to give up an hour of your Saturday. By the way, it doesn't matter what day it is. It's always a hard time to find prayer uh, with the church. So it happens to be Saturday this time with our church and we're gathering. Let it be a sacrifice of praise that you would take the time to come and pray with us. But those who believe and those who pray all enter his presence by the way of the altar here. Um, In the book of Numbers, chapter 16, incense was offered 
when wrath was going to be poured out. And that's what we see here in Revelation chapter 8. There's a holy hush. There's the hush before the crush. God's wrath in phase 2 in the trumpet judgments is about to be pulled out, poured out. And incense is offered just before uh, wrath is poured out. So let's move on into verse 5. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and interestingly, I bet you didn't see this coming, threw it to the earth. Cast it to the earth. The NIV, if you've got it, you notice it says, hurled it to the earth. It, it kind of seemed peaceful at first, didn't it? In the prayer and the praise rise to you as incense. And then, you know, and then he hurls it to the earth. There's fire. There's incense thrown to the earth, which would cause noises, thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake. So imagine this heavenly scene, the altar, the censer, the incense, the fire, and then this cast of it to the earth, where number one, there's noises, which speaks of voices and crying out and loud speaking. So almost, you know, you've seen the, the funny shows, you know, where the guy stubs his toes and he screams, you know, and then it zooms outside of his house and you can hear him screaming outside of his house and then it zooms up into Google Earth into the outside the city and you can hear him screaming and then it goes all the way outside the earth and you can still hear him screaming, you know. In a sense, there's this heavenly scene where this is cast to the earth and you hear the screaming on earth. The, there's rumblings, the New Revised Standard says. There's thunder. Or ESV puts it, peals of thunder, thunder after thunder, sounds of flashes and lightnings. There's an earthquake and commotions. This is a horrific thing that is happening to the earth, and yet it is justly horrific. And verse 6 says, so the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared, they prepared themselves to sound. It's a dramatic moment where the buglers raise the mouthpieces to their lips. The trumpet judgments haven't even started yet. This is the seventh seal, commotion upon the earth. And it leads into the seven trumpet judgments. And in this drama, all of the angels raise the trumpet to their lip. Anybody here play the trumpet? It's curious. All right, oh, Corey, going to have to have you up on the team next Sunday. You know, it was quite a few years ago that a man showed up to our church with a shofar. I don't know if you know what that is. In Israel, you can go buy a shofar. It's a big ram's horn. And he came in on a Sunday morning, and he's just, you know, some people are packing their Bibles, and some got a diaper bag, and this homeboy has got a ram's horn shofar. First Sunday, you know, most people show up with what they're comfortable with, you know, and he just said, Hey, I just want you to know, like, um, any time during worship that you want me to blow this bad boy, like, I'm ready to do that for you. To which I replied, that's probably not going to happen. <laughs> to which he replied, so you're saying there's a chance. <laughs> and as I'm preaching, every time my eye would kind of look over, he'd kind of be like. <laughs> and I'd be like. Anyway, you know, 
And uh, before we move to the last worship set, somebody says, so how's that going with the guy with the, with the ram's horn? And I said, show far, show good. <laughs> By the way, did you know how the horn got its name? Because it can be heard from show far away. Okay, anyways. All right, so all of the angels, you know, they're... You know, the Ninja Turtles of heaven, they're, okay, trying to work it in. Yeah, you know me by now. I'm like, how can this fit in the sermon? True story. All right. Verse seven, we have this first trumpet begin to sound and it will be devastation on the trees and the grass. Verse seven, the first angel sounded and hail and fire followed mingled with blood and they were thrown to the earth and a third of the trees were burned up and all green grass was burned up. So three things that you probably haven't blended together in a blender recently, things that have been mingled, hail, fire, and blood. Okay. And here we see them mingled together in this case and cast to earth. And the judgment that we see, and just imagine this, this happening on earth, a third of the trees burned up and all green grass burned up. Imagine the devastation upon the earth. And I think that this is something that's pretty reasonable, something that could happen if God was going to judge the earth. Some people don't really know what all this is. And just as I'm trying to understand, I'm like, this is something that, I mean, if God was going to judge the earth, this is like, he could do this. So imagine the devastation. We have a little fire in the Ochicos, you know, or one over in the Roseburg area. And, you know, the smoke comes over and we you know, have to close our house up and don't go outside and it's bad smoke. But imagine a third of the earth trees burned up and all the grass burned up. This has never happened in human history, in case you're wondering. It's something that is future, the scriptures say. Now, this much we do know. The catastrophe would radically affect the already depleted food supply in the world. As more crops are destroyed. And last week we studied, you know, all of these different judgments and earthquakes and mountains being moved and pollution in the sky and the sun being made dark and the moon being made red and all of these different things happening. And now you add a third of the forest burning up and all of the green grass. It's not a pretty time. And you can already begin to sense why the heavens would have been silent waiting for that next judgment to happen. And so that's the first trumpet judgment. It happens quite rapidly. Devastation on trees and grass. And then we go to verse eight, the second trumpet judgment. Then the second angel sounded and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea and a third of the sea became blood. And so we have this phrase something like a great mountain and you'll kind of have to put yourself in John's shoes as he's in heaven and he's having a futuristic vision given to him and he's probably going to be seeing things things from even our day and age that he's never seen before he doesn't know what it is he doesn't know how to describe it and imagine some of his writings like what could he possibly be describing in our day and age it's kind of helpful to read that way 
um, as we're just trying to understand this uh, text. So something like a great mountain burning with fire is thrown into the sea. So possibly a volcano, you know, just sinks and causes some sort of uh, issue within the sea or a meteor comes down and is thrown into the sea. Uh, quoting from a previous writer, it's interesting. A comet's tail is composed of hydrogen and carbon. Thus, it, as it enters the Earth's atmosphere, it ignites with oxygen and catches on fire. It would look like John's description, a great mountain burning with fire. And scientists say it's not if a meteor or asteroid will hit the Earth. It's when will this happen? To quote Jeff LeSavier, I have read how scientists have tracked several asteroids capable of entering our atmosphere, and some of them have been nearly 500 miles wide. And so just doing a simple search, and, and you, know, you can have fun looking up these sorts of things. It's not the main point of the text, so we don't want to get totally distracted with it. But uh, it's what some researchers call NEOs, or near-Earth objects. A near-Earth object orbit crosses the Earth, and the object is larger than 140 meters, or 460 feet across. This is what they call near-Earth objects. It's considered a potentially hazardous object. Most known potentially hazardous objects and NEOs are asteroids, but some of them are comets. So we have a picture of one that's caused some people to sweat a little bit at night. It's asteroid 4179 Totatus. It's a potentially hazardous object that passed within four lunar distances in September 2004 and currently has a minimum possible distance of 2.5 lunar distances. Um, on March 22nd, 1989, an asteroid came within six hours of striking the Earth. On May 14th, 1996, another asteroid missed by a mere 280,000 miles, which, astronomically speaking, was a near miss. The moon is 240,000 miles away, which is what that lunar distance is. And so, in a sense, as we look at these near misses, and we understand the Lord and how he uses the heavens and, and shows his glory, they're almost like warning shots across the bow of what we would see here in this trumpet judgment. But one way or another, it's a mountain of some kind. It's, it's described like a mountain, hits the sea, and a third of the sea became blood. Now, we've seen oil spills that cause devastation so that small parts of the ocean are inhabitable, uninhabitable. Imagine one-third of the sea becoming blood and the devastation this would cause. It goes on to say kind of what, what is caused by this, that a third in verse 9, a third of the living creatures in the sea died and a third of the ships were destroyed. So a third of the living creatures in the sea died, not able to survive in this bloody water. Uh, huge amounts of oxygen come from the ocean. The ocean plays a key part in the water cycle. Uh, and it's interesting as we begin to look at these different trumpet judgments, how God is dealing with the idolatry of the men of earth's life. 
that men have been worshiping the trees and the stars and water. And, and as Romans chapter 1 says, they professed to be wise, but they became fools. And they did this great exchange where they exchanged the glory that goes to the creator. And they began to worship the created things. And so in a sense, just like he did with the Egyptians in the book of Exodus, he's judging their idolatrous system. So he's judging the trees. He's, he's rather, he's wiping out their idols. So they have nothing to trust in. He's wiping out uh, the ocean. He's wiping out creation. Um, and even something that brings great source of life, like the sea. There was a Newsweek article that was titled, Bubbles, Bubbles, Toil, and Troubles. And it stated that the bubbles from the ocean made just the right amount of atmosphere to support life. And so in that article, you've got people attributing to uh, the ocean what should be attributed to God as the source of life. And so the Lord's like, okay, I'm just going to take away your God for a second and see who you're going to trust in. For some reason, a third of the ships are destroyed. You know, this bloody water or whatnot. For some reason, they can't withstand this water and they are destroyed. Which deals a blow to the Roman system of economy and transportation and how they would get their products throughout the empire. John is kind of speaking to the original readers to show how God is going to basically take away everything we would trust in that would not be him. And so you can reference in, a, in your own time, Exodus seven seventeen, where God turned the Nile River into blood as well. And the fish that died and the, just the torment that that caused. And one thing I wrote down in my notes, imagine the stink from an ocean that's a third blood. And, uh, and when you read about um, it happening in Egypt, there was a horrific stench across the land. We move to the third trumpet judgment. Then the third angel sounded and a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch. And it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood. And many men died from the water because it was made bitter. So another star that comes and it contaminates. Oceans have already been contaminated. Now we have the fresh water sources contaminated and made bitter by this star. Interesting, the Lord knows its name. As one, uh, Psalm 147 verse 4 says, He counts the number of the stars and he calls them by name. And he calls this star Wormwood, which means Bitter. Wormwood is a Middle Eastern plant with a strong, bitter taste. So the word wormwood is used in the Bible as a reference to bitterness and sorrow. So many are going to die from this poisoned water, all the fresh water, uh, this uh, third of the fresh water being made bitter. It's interesting, though, that this star that's falling may possibly be some sort of missile in the midst of the great warfare that we've read about. Uh, it could be a nuclear warhead or a nuclear weapon. Interestingly enough, in the Russian Bible, in this very verse, the word for wormwood is Chernobyl. 
Chernobyl. And when the Russians read this, tens of thousands of them came to Jesus because they saw the connection. And I've got a picture of the New York Times article that quotes a prominent Russian writer producing a tattered old Bible and declaring, he's an atheist, but he's putting the connection together that what they had experienced was some sort of Chernobyl from God. He went to the dictionary and he showed the Ukrainian word for wormwood and that it was this bitter, wild herb used in Russia. It was this Chernobyl. And so uh, even the Russians had connected this. And so perhaps, as you're just trying to figure out what in the Sam Hill is going on, perhaps this star, he's seeing it, and it's some sort of missile that he's seeing land. As it lands, it's causing radioactive strontium-90 to kill many people as it makes its way into the fresh water. So remember, a third of the ocean water has already been polluted in the second trumpet judgment. Now a third of the springs are polluted by something happening on the earth. And these trumpet judgments seem to be um, destroying the whole planet. I read recently, John said to the Lord, verily, the world will end with trumpets. And God said, no, I said, Trump Pence. That is a joke. Yeah, dude. It's okay in Prineville, right? Make a joke. Like that. Okay. It's the trumpets judgment. No, it is the trumpet judgment. Too soon? Okay. Verse 12. Then the fourth angel sounded. I was trying to fit that one into this. The fourth angel sounded and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon and a third of the stars so that a third of them were darkened, a third of the day did not shine and likewise the night. Are you noticing the patterns of thirds here? In the seal judgment, it was fourths and here we have thirds. And this is all something prophesied in the Old Testament in Isaiah 13, 6 through 13. In your own time, I would ask you to just reference that and take a look at it because much of what we read in Revelation can be helped and understood by reading Old Testament prophecies in them. And Jesus says in his prophecy of the Olivet Discourse, which we've been studying, Matthew 24, 29, Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from heaven. This is something that just happens during the tribulation or after the tribulation. The powers of the heavens will be shaken. And so it's part of the judgment is that God is removing everything that man has trusted in, everything that we're comfortable in. And there's a great lesson for us here as those that are prone to idolatry, as those that are prone to um, worshiping anything that, you know, lives, moves, and has any sort of breath or walks on four to two legs, you know. Uh, Martin Luther said the human heart is an idol factory. And we as individuals are so quick to take something that's good and make it into a God, which is bad. And so here the Lord is wiping out things that we've been trusting in, that humankind has been trusting in, these created things, even the most secure things, like the light of the sun, all of these things in heaven and earth are passing away in these trumpet judgments. And verse 13 says, and I looked and I heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven saying with a loud voice, woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth because of the remaining blasts of the trumpet 
of the three angels that are about to sound. Now, in chapter 4, we listen to angels singing, holy, holy, holy. And we studied that when something's repeated, it's, it's a huge emphasis on something if it's repeated just one time. So holy, holy to the Lord is, is a big cry out to the Lord. If it's holy, 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 it's just exponentially greater. And so when an angel is flying over, or maybe your Bible says a great eagle, uh, maybe it's the cherubim that has the face like an eagle, flying in the midst of heaven, and he's saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. Woe speaks of misery. Misery that results from affliction. It's this primary form of grief and mourning. It's hard to explain this word woe because it's a mixture of wrath and grief. And so some of the translations say horror, horror, horror. Or alas, alas, alas. Distress is coming upon the earth. The inhabitants of the earth. And so these next judgments, trumpet judgments, are going to get more and more severe. Now notice, and you might underline, it's this inhabitants of the earth are going to feel the effect. This refers to those unsaved people who make the earth their home. They've loved the earth more than they loved God. They've wanted the earth more than they've wanted Yahweh, more than they've wanted their Savior, more than they've wanted the one who created them and loved them and has a plan for them. They're living for this world is the emphasis in this last verse. And it's the opposite of those who've placed their faith in God and have their citizenship in heaven. You can't have dual citizenship if you want to be a Christian. Philippians tells us that those that are Christians, our citizenship is in heaven. But here we see that those who dwell upon the earth will have remaining blasts of trumpets coming upon them. And it will get worse and worse and worse. We're going to speed through chapter 9 today. And the speeding uh, main emphasis for us is that while God carries out judgment on an unrepenting humanity, the sovereign Lord will use Satan and his forces, but he will always remain in control over them. This is going to be huge for us to understand because we're going to see demons, demonic attack, and Satan, and yet in it all, God is in control. Martin Luther even said that the devil is still God's devil. God is still the God of the entire universe. And when you even read the book of Job and all the horrific things that happened to Job, even at the hand of the devil, at the end of it all, it says at the end of the book of Job that God was the cause of this. He's holy, he's sovereign, and he's pure and just in all that he does. And in his sovereignty, he allows and he works things for his glory And for our good. And that's exactly what happened in the book of Job. And that's exactly what's happening in the book of Revelation. And so, um, as we study John's vision and observe armies of darkness battling in the future, um, we're going to see these guys try to torment people on the earth. And we're going to see there's a little bit of a connection with us today. So let's go ahead and move through this chapter today. Then the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to the earth. To him was given the key 
to the bottomless pit or to the shaft of hell. And so again, we have a star falling from heaven to earth. And it's believed that this is uh, the fallen star or the fallen angel Lucifer. And the tense in it is that it was a fallen star. And Jesus himself said in the book of Luke, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Isaiah 14, 12 says, how you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning, how you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. And so Satan, when he fell, it was like lightning fallen from heaven. And he drew a third of the angels with him in this great fall. Ezekiel 28 verse 12 speaks of this great fall. And now we see God sovereignly giving him control of this bottomless pit. By the way, that was my nickname in high school. It was a bottomless pit. My mom would call me that because I'd eat anything on the kitchen table. Not anymore, though. I'm much more sensible and have self-control. There's this depthless shaft or this abyss. In the Gospel of Luke, when Jesus is at the tomb of the Gadarenes and he's going to cast out the legion of demons, they beg him not to send them to the abyss or to this bottomless pit. The abyss is this place where demons are incarcerated. It's a prison for demons. And Satan or Lucifer is given the key to this place. Jude 6 tells us that the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he's reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. So there's this group of angels that fell with Lucifer and they've been trapped for the millennia in this bottomless pit. And we're going to see this bottomless pit in Revelation 13 and Revelation 20. But it seems to be this bottomless shaft with a sealed entrance somewhere here on the earth, even within the spiritual realm. Go home, have a little fun, look up bottomless pits, and you'll see all sorts of crazy massive pits that have been naturally formed in the earth. The hilarious thing is it's like they're like 65 feet deep and you're like, bottomless? (laughs) You know, but they're these giant pits, you know. Uh, But somewhere on the earth, it seems in the spiritual realm, There's this pit full of demons, okay? And there's these angels in it that are so bad that when they fell, God knew they would wipe out all of humanity. And so he put them in this pit. And so verse 2 says, and so he opened this, this devil who's been given the key. So God sovereignly grants him the ability to open this pit He opens the bottomless pit and smoke arose out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace. You guys using your imagination right now to just capture what is happening right here. So the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. This pit's open. It has physical effects upon planet earth. It's a spiritual pit, a hellish pit, a devilish pit full of demons. And when it is opened, The whole world feels the effects of it. The smoke of the pit dimming out the sun and the air. In verse 3, then out of the smoke, locusts came upon the earth. That doesn't sound so bad. Who doesn't love a good grasshopper? Am I right? But to them was given power. Now we remember what was in the abyss? Demons. And when it's opened, these locusts come out. Sweet little locusts, I'm sure you're thinking. 
And then they are given, from the sovereign God, they are given power as the scorpions of the earth have power. So maybe you're already like, oh man, this is very similar to when God judged Egypt in the book of Exodus, when he judged Egypt with locusts. Now these locusts that we read of aren't just big grasshoppers, that they are fierce, demonic creatures coming out of the shaft of hell. These are beings which have been incarcerated and now they're let out of prison. On a smaller scale, it'd be, and I've had a dream, a nightmare of this once, as if we'd opened all the prison doors and all of the earth and let loose the prisoners. Of course, they would reap havoc upon the earth. Locusts are known to be innumerable and they speak of terrible destruction. In the 1870s, Nebraska was covered by a giant locust cloud that measured 300 miles long and 100 miles wide. A giant black cloud of locusts. The worst locust plague in modern times struck the Middle East in 1952 in Iran, Jordan, and Saudi Arabia. And every green and growing thing was consumed. The leaf, the grain, the stalk All the way down to the dirt, nothing was left but desert. One man wrote, most of the time the locust is a simple garden variety grasshopper, but if the climate is dry and the food is scarce, he'll go through a Jekyll and Hyde transformation and become a monstrous eating machine. His body elongates, his teeth sharpen, his appetite is multiplied, And he begins to migrate with other locusts. Brian Handwork from National Geographic continues. He says, during massive plagues, desert locusts can appear over a land area of nearly 12 million square miles within some 60 nations, comprising over 20% of the earth's land surface. And so you just see how John likens them to what locusts do to the earth. These demonic creatures come and they're given the same power of a scorpion. And most people run from the scorpions in great fear. And uh, as I found a scorpion in my house last year at 4 a.m., I wasn't expecting it. I thought it was a dragonfly on the ground. I didn't know what to do with this thing. So I swept it into a dustpan, threw it in a garbage bag, and it's now the Crook County landfills problem. But... um. I'm a bit of a baby and I didn't want to squish it on the bottom of my shoe because then what do you do with it? Okay. Don't try to step on the demon too. I mean, okay. Verse four, they were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth, but they're locusts. Isn't that what they're supposed to do? That's not why they're here. Or any green thing or any tree, but only those whose men do not, uh, only those men who do not have the seal of God on their forehead. So who are these men? They are the 144,000 Jews from the 12 tribes, the Jewish evangelists that we saw last week. And so we see God's mercy in the midst of judgment. These 144,000 are protected. They're protected here. And they're not to uh, harm the grass. It, it needs time to grow back, perhaps, from the first trumpet judgment. Verse 5, and they were not given authority to kill them. They can't kill men. But they can torture them or torment them for five months. Their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it strikes a man. So these demonic 
beings, bug beings, locust beings, are not able to kill a man, but they, five months, they've got this time that they can torment or torture. And in the Greek, the language for torment and torture speaks of unbearable, unbearable physical pain, extreme mental distress, intense feelings of suffering, acute mental and physical pain, a feeling of intense annoyance, Caused by being tormented, severe affliction or harassment. And in the books that I read about this, it's reasonable to assume that whatever is happening, people on the earth are actually experiencing physical pain by what these uh, demons out of the bottomless pit are doing. Uh, uh, Venom of certain types of scorpions may produce severe pain and swelling at the sight of the sting, numbness, frothing at the mouth, difficulties in breathing, including respiratory paralysis, muscles twitching and convulsing. One writer said it's like your central nervous system is on fire for two to three days. And notice what it said there. Their torment is like the torment. There's torment going on, verse 6. And those days, men will seek death and not find it. They will desire to die. And death will flee from them. For years, people have run from the Grim Reaper. Now they're running towards the Grim Reaper. They're hoping to die. You cannot run. It's like a horror movie. There's these demonic creatures. They're scary. They sting. They torment. You cannot run from them. Even in death. And try to imagine all of humanity tortured for five months. This anguish of body and mind, this infliction of intense pain. The language speaks of twisting and wrenching out of shape. And an interesting and sad part of this judgment is that men will want to die, but they can't. And so you could understand forms of suicide that cannot be accomplished because it was ordered not to. Now, why would this be? Why couldn't they die? And some write, well, because of God's mercy. He doesn't, it's better that they have wrath upon them than that they die and go to hell for all of eternity. Better that they're maimed for five months. But you got to remember that this is actually a time of God pouring out his wrath on those that continually reject the wrath of God. It is all part of his judgment. Let's go to verse 7. The shape of the locust was like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were crowns of something like gold, and their faces were like the faces of men. Using your imagination. They had hair like women's hair, and their teeth were like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots and many horses running into battle. They had tails like scorpions, and there were stings in their tails. Their power was to hurt men five months. And so... Yeah, you can have some fun on Google Images, you know, just like, what does this thing really look like? And some artists have drawn things. And, you know, you just can't be dogmatic on what we're seeing here. Um, But the descriptions help us understand what they're about. We see them like, uh, it's like a sci-fi movie or something. They're like horses prepared for battle, which speaks of their armor. I don't know if you've seen those, uh, uh, those Hawaiian centipedes that... You can't kill them, you can't stomp them, you can't chop them. Uh, a friend of mine was recently in Hawaii, and when we were in Hawaii and at the same time, he found one in his hotel room. You, you couldn't chop it, the, the sting is like a scorpion sting, and he chopped it up with a kitchen knife, 
and then got it and put it in the garbage disposal of his hotel room. It was the only way he could kill this thing, and it's sort of a similar thing here. Armor-plated scorpions. The crowns of something were like gold on their heads, and this speaks of uh, an ability to reign. They have faces like the face of men, which when you see this in Scripture, speaks of their intelligence. They're smart. They outsmart you. You're trying to run from them. They're coming after you. Uh, Hair like women's hair. And speaks of intense seductiveness and attractive fancies. Teeth like lion's teeth speaks of their ferocity. Breastplates like iron shows them to be indestructible. Sounds of wings like chariots and many horses running into battle. And they've got these tails like scorpions, but, but they're locusts. And they've got stings in their tails. And it's interesting. I remember one guy said it. Now I can't get it out of my head a lot of times. But perhaps John is trying to describe a helicopter in ancient times. Armored with a crown, with hair uh, spinning around, uh, stinging its tails and the sound of chariots of horses. You know, perhaps he's describing something as you see uh, the king of these armies of locusts. It's demonic. Uh, It could be part of this world army of Satan that's going to be coming upon the earth. So it's just a thought and it's nothing to be dogmatic about. You're just trying to understand what is John seeing at these time and power is given to them. Uh, these things for to hurt men. And this is the second time we read it for five months. And as Ironside says, I see no reason why we should not understand the five months. Literally, it's the second time it said it. And also, interestingly enough, the normal lifespan of locusts is five months. Verse 11, and they had as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, but in Greek he has the name Apollyon. So Apollyon, Abaddon, it means destruction or to destroy. And we know that that's Satan, the thief, Jesus tells us in John 10.10. He doesn't come but to steal, kill, and destroy. And yet Jesus comes to bring life and life abundantly. Satan goes around, Peter tells us, like a lion seeking whom he may devour. But Jesus is the lion who seeks who he can save by also being the lamb. When John references Abaddon or Apollyon, he's referencing Apollo, the Roman god, and showing that he is a god of destruction. Verse 12, one woe is past, still behold, two more woes are coming after these things. The angel pronounced three woes over these final three trumpet judgments. One of them has finally passed, and now we get to the sixth trumpet. Everyone doing okay? It's cool, world. I mean, we're going to be done here soon. We got other things to do this afternoon. We got a Polina church to go shepherd and love on, so don't worry. We're not going to be here till dinner time. Um, unless someone wants to pick up a few pizzas, we can pass the pies around and just keep going. All right. Verse 13 through 15. See, we're already tackling a few good verses here. Then the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and day and month and year were released to kill a third of mankind. And so the voice in the midst of the altar is probably Jesus in the midst of the, of the uh, instructions of this judgment. We see that this altar is there again, and there's these four 
angels that are abound. Tim LaHaye, who actually wrote the um, the Left Behind series, you know, I think he's done a good job in his studying. He's not certainly the source on anything, but the man's put in his homework, and he writes here, this is the first introduction to these four bound angels. That they are evil angels seems obvious because they are bound. Evidently, they are anxious to bring havoc on humankind, but have been bound by God, prohibiting the fulfillment of all their intent. Why they hate human beings, we are not told. Perhaps it is because they are the special object of God's love. But these angels, they are chomping at the bit to bring destruction. They are in the area somewhere bound currently in the Middle East, in the area of Iraq, by the Euphrates River, but in the spiritual realm. And they are going to kill a third of mankind. Now at this point, someone's got to keep a running tally because a lot of the math that we're giving is showing that the population of the earth is dwindling and dwindling during this tribulation period. Uh, Ironside said, these angels are evidently at the present time restraining Asiatic hordes from pouring themselves upon the land of Palestine and Europe. The Euphrates forms the eastern limit to the Ottoman Empire and thus is the barrier, as it were, between the east and the west. Moving on to verse 16. Now the number of the army of horsemen was 200 million. I heard the number of them. That's kind of a big army, isn't it? 200 million horsemen in the army. And and you would say, oh, that's silly, stupid. He meant thousand or he meant, you know. And John goes, hey, I heard the number of them. (laughs) It's not a typo. 200 million men in the army. Interestingly enough, at the time Revelation was written, there weren't even 200 million people living on the earth. In Time Magazine, May 21st, 1965, tells us that China at that time boasted a 200 million man army. It's interesting that they chose that number and that they're east of the river Euphrates uh, in position to that of Israel, And we're going to see them probably come on the scene, this army um, throughout the battle of Armageddon later on in the book of Revelation. Verse 17, and thus I saw the horses in the vision. Those who sat on them had breastplates of fiery red, hyacinth blue, sulfur yellow, and the heads of the horses were like the heads of lions. And out of their mouths came fire, smoke, and brimstone. By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed by the fire and the smoke and the brimstone, which came out of their mouths. And so oftentimes in scripture, when God's pouring out judgment, uh, like with Sodom and Gomorrah, it's with fire and brimstone. Um, The power is in their mouth and in their tails for their tails are like serpents having heads and with them, they do harm. And so as a result of the trumpet judgment, three billion people in today's standards are now dead. And uh, I don't have a great whole lot of interpretation as to what these crazy horsemen are. Um, and, uh, but the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands. And this is the tragic part. They did not repent. We, they weren't killed by it. 
But instead of being softened by this time, they're hardened by this time. They did not repent of the works of their hand, that they should not worship demons and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And so you would think that this discipline, that this judgment would cause people to repent and And yet there's no repentance for those who have rejected Christ. There's no repentance for those in this period. When when the wrath is poured out upon them, they harden their heart and God hardens their heart. Just as he hardened Pharaoh's heart. And instead of turning from worshiping the sun and the trees and the sea and all of these things that have been, uh, you know, messed with during the trumpet judgment and and have had their power and their beauty affected... Instead of humbling themselves before the God of the world as they see these cataclysmic events that had been prophesied unfold before them, they harden their heart. And they keep worshiping those things that have eyes but can't see, have ears but can't hear. And that's exactly what uh, the psalmist says in Psalm 115.5. They have mouths. All of your gods that you worship, all of this stuff in the world, all these things that are not Jesus that you give your all towards, the sports. The materials, the career, the possessions, the lust, the greed, all of these things, the, 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 the truck, the boat, the skis, you know, whatever it is, you know, it's all this great stuff. We just, we live and revolve around this stuff and it's likened to an idol. Man, it's got ears, but it can't hear you. Eyes got it, but no, it doesn't see it. It falls over. You got to pick it back up. Stop worshiping that dumb stuff that's distracting you from the living God. Today in Prineville, stop worshiping those things while there's still a time for you to stop worshiping them. While we still are in the age of grace and you get to think about how much Jesus loves you and you get to hear the gospel about how he died for you and you can turn and repent and believe in the gospel today. Today, if you would hear his voice, do not harden your heart as they did in the rebellion of the book of Leviticus or as they will in the book of Revelation that we study today. Do not harden your heart. I would just plead with you as a preacher today to be reconciled to God. So that you don't have to go through this time of tribulation upon the earth. Because if you're new here, we've studied, we believe at Calvary Chapel that the church of Jesus, those who follow Jesus, will be taken out and removed from the earth in the rapture of the church before this period is poured out on the earth. And we would beckon you to come with us. And as we have the worship team come on up. You would ask, is it really fair that God would judge mankind so severely? And you know, the punishment is fit to the crime. Those who have rebelled against a pure and loving and holy and just and wonderful and merciful creator, those that have rebelled against him and turned to serve different false gods, And those that would rebel and reject his offer of peace through Jesus Christ. And those who would trample the blood of the son of God, Jesus under their feet as if it was a common thing. The Bible tells us that that the punishment fits the crime. But the wonderful thing is, is in the scriptures, 
You know, at the end of the day, you know, we're reading about demons and pits and maybe helicopters with, you know, I don't know what this locust thing was. It's okay. You don't have, it's okay. That's not the main point of it. The main point as we're reading it is that Jesus is the Lamb of God who gave his life for sinners. And we're living in the period where anyone who would say, well, then I'm a sinner, give me life. He'll receive life. There's mercy from Jesus. But what we also see is that there's judgment from Jesus against sinners. And so today, as we close in song, we're going to sing a song about, and it's, it, to me it fits in with our text today. Hopefully Johnny got it in the right key this time. Just kidding, it was my fault. We're going to read in the text today, you know, the silence that happened in heaven. And there's a, sometimes there's just this stillness in the presence of God. We know that God's there, but we want to be those that delight in him, not those who reject him. And after the period of silence have wrath poured on them. So 